Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Ryan Kreil. Joining me today are Andy Skinner, Paul Third, and Jamie Durant. How are we, guys? Okay. Good thanks. Yeah, grand. Thank you. Good thanks, Ryan. Okay. So this week, quite a lot to discuss, as there always is. Uh, naturally, we'll have to touch on Aberdeen's. Uh, I think when you if you listen back to last week's episode, uh, ultimately disappointing trip to Ibrox. Uh, didn't see it coming. I just didn't see it coming. But uh, yeah. Maybe I should have. Maybe it was me that was the fool. Uh, we'll also have to discuss Ross County ending their clash with Hearts. Pointless. Uh, their struggles continue. Inverness with a very unexpected heavy defeat against Morton at Capilo on Friday night. Cove's game in the Championship on Saturday at Hamilton was not without its own drama. Um, I think that would be putting it lightly. And Peterhead and Elgin's roles reversing as well at the weekend. So... All that to touch upon, but yes, let's go back to Aberdeen. We talked last week about how the 3-5-2 was the answer. It was allowing Duke and Miofsky to thrive up front. The defence was looking solid now. Anthony Stewart, Liam Scales and Ross McCrory, the perfect trio at the back. Um, they got ripped apart, didn't they, at Ibrox 30? <laughs> Can I just say, Sean took a holiday. I covered three matches. It was wins against Hearts, Partick Thistle and Motherwell away. I then go on holiday, Sean comes back, you're all full of optimism and then what happens? The Wallace jinx strikes again. But in terms of the Dons, oh, it was, oh, I don't know, it, I've, shocking, that's what it was. That's the word I'm looking for, shocking. Um, but I don't think three at the back is dead in the water for Aberdeen. I just think it was ruthlessly exposed for a variety of reasons, which I'm sure we'll come to at Ibrox on Saturday. I mean, it was 36 attempts on goal from Rangers against the Dons, and that just tells you how easy they were cutting through whatever resistance Aberdeen were able to muster. Now, that's the flip side of having two up top in Duke and Majofsky, who, to be fair, did give the Rangers backline problems, but not enough. And it was just, it became one-way traffic as soon as the equaliser. And it had been a fairly dangerous opening for, for Aberdeen before they, they managed to take the lead themselves. And But once the Rangers were back on, on level terms, there was only one team in it and it certainly wasn't the visitors. It did strike me, so beforehand, I mean, we've, I did kind of think, we've been here before, how many times have we said before, oh, it's a good time to play one of the old firm, it's a good time to play Celtic or Rangers and we always, it always kind of gets built up as a great chance for Aberdeen to get a result and we always end up in the same scenario afterwards that it's another chastening afternoon for, for Aberdeen and that's kind of how it how it kind of turned out and I mean I don't know I don't know how you kind of stop that or if you stop that do you kind of want to take away the kind of the, the ever ever glowing optimism of Don's fans of being able to get a result against the old firm or do you kind of try and preach a little bit of kind of um kind of realism until they actually do start getting results against <laughs> against Celtic and Rangers again that you kind of take these games as almost as a as a free hit and go into them and you you try and take something from them. Well Duncan Shearer's at that point of view. I mean he touched on it in his column earlier in the week. He says you can't you can't have it both ways. Do you want uh how do we put this? A Derek McInnes approach where you go and the game plan is stay in the game, make it difficult and try and catch him on the break. Or do you do what Jim Goodwin did? 
and you go for broke and end up taking a, a scalping because that's what it was. I suppose the problem, more well, one of the issues was that everyone knew in a way how Aberdeen were going to set up at Ibrox. Things have been going so well. Jim Goodwin had talked about it in the week that he'd be, you know, he'd be a fool, he'd be criticised if he changed it um, because of the way the three five two had been functioning. But teams always have an issue if they've only got one way of playing that kind of works for them. I mean, Rangers know that more than anyone at the moment. If you've only got one way that, like, you're managing to make all the pieces work and fit together then it allowed Rangers to set up to counteract the way they knew Aberdeen were going to play. And it just felt... I do think that one of, one of the other problems was after they scored, Aberdeen's intensity dropped off a little bit, which meant more spaces opened up. Um, but I think the spaces were probably already there. I mean, I think they were lucky to get in front in the way they did. But yeah, there was just there were so many there were so many moments, weren't there, where it was two against one, three against two. Just Rangers just overloaded them, didn't they? Oh, they did. I mean, for my sins, I, I took the task uh, in midweek of going back and looking at the goals that Aberdeen conceded, and it doesn't make for for pleasant viewing. I, I, I tried to break it down, but really, it's straight balls through the midfield that split the back three. Aberdeen contriving to find themselves on 1v2 defensive situations and just general poor communication. They can all be found in the goals that they gave away. I mean, the last one in particular is it's unbelievable because Hayden Coulson physically sticks his left arm out to point. Fashion Sakala's free. I'm being dragged into the box. Can somebody go with him? And I think it's Duke who's standing closest and he's like, huh? And just falls asleep and... A layoff from our field, Sakala's in behind, a ball across goal, and Alfredo Morelos puts it away from all of three yards or something. It's just, it's horrible, horrible stuff. And Jim Goodwin had every right to be standing there with his, his head in his hands at that point, because it's just, it was schoolboy stuff. Clearly, we're coming up, well, we're into November now, January's not that far away. The defence is the area of the most need of being addressed at Aberdeen, I would say. It's not a surprise that the, the lad for Tranmere Rovers, uh, Josh Dacre Cogley, is back on the radar because they need more, it needs to be better, they need to be stronger in that area. I think the other ones, the, the other departments are quite quite decent in the minute. Kel Roos is okay. I think they're midfield options, they've got width, they've got creativity, and they've got two decent strikers who are putting the ball away fairly regularly. But their inability to keep the back door shut is costing them dear. And I, I look at someone like Jaden Richardson. He is a terrific athlete, but very much a work in progress. And Jim Jim Goodwin can't have a work in progress at the minute when he's looking to take a team into the top three in the division. And let's be honest, we're now looking at third being the height of the ambitions because I, I think that win on Saturday for Rangers takes them and Celtic, who were already a little bit further ahead, out of reach. And I can only see that gap going going wider. So it's now third is what you're playing for. Is it more competition, you think, that's kind of needed at the back? Because, I mean, if you look at it, Anthony Stewart's captain. So if he's fit, he's playing every week. And Liam Scales is obviously, he's a preferred player for, for Jim Goodwin. So, if, again, if he's fit, he's going to play. And... Ross McCrory, I think we've all, we've debated before about where his best position is and 
he maybe can while he can maybe fill in as a centre half and he has done so in a three, I think we all see his best position in midfield. But if you go back to a back four, you've only really got what young Jack Milne behind him behind them with limited experience. Someone that can read it. Someone that can read a play a bit better, I think, is what they need. And someone whose distribution is quite decent as well would, wouldn't go amiss because Aberdeen are they're, they're quite basic in terms of how, how the defence work. It's little passes here and there, but if, if someone had to hit the ball long, it's going out of play because they don't have that quality guy. They'll be, they're always looking at a Ramadani or McCrory if he's in midfield to come in and take the ball. But even McCrory is passing. That's not what he's there to do. He's a box-to-box, energy, drive sort of player. If you're asking him strictly to stay in defence, then you're taking something away from what you've got in the middle of the park. And, and that was the perfect, I guess, example of what was exposed by Rangers on Saturday. You, you, you drop McCrory back one. Ramadani, Ramadani is on his own because that's what they play Aberdeen it's not a 3-5-2 it's a 3-1-4-2 where the wing backs are actually in front of Ramadani so it's basically it's a, either a diamond defence that's very narrow or however you want to, want to phrase it and, and if you can find that gaps you can rip them apart and Rangers did it brilliantly it, it, Aberdeen can play that system but they're going to need better players for games against Rangers or Celtic if they want to play that system just think with McCrory, when he moves back into defence, we just don't see the best of him. Every time, you know, like, he's a dominant figure when he plays in midfield at times, and I don't think when he, he's ever played at centre-back for Aberdeen, I would describe him as having had a dominant performance in a game. I mean, it must be... I, I, can't, I can't imagine he enjoys playing at centre-half very much. I think... The full back, the centre backs. You're right in what you say, Paul Stewart. Definitely isn't a ball playing centre half. He's very much a penalty box defender. Even you know outside the 18 yard box, at times he looks, you know, a bit suspect. Liam Scales. It was strange because in the Premier Sports Cup games, start of the season, Liam Scales did look like he was capable of picking a pass, but we haven't really seen many of those. Uh, you know, those passes that go right through the middle up to the striker. Um, as much in the league, maybe just the opposition being a higher standard has been the difference I think I struggle at the moment to see if competition helps the two fullbacks um, that are currently playing Jack McKenzie and Jaden Richardson I think I'm, I remain to be convinced whether Jaden Richardson uh, is good enough and I think defensively McKenzie as well there's question marks there and I think that's why I don't think they're looking at uh, the guy from Tramier for right back to give competition to Richardson. I think they're possibly looking at him to replace Richardson. But yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of work to be done in January. Anyway, 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 let's move on to the Kibbs game on Friday. Do we expect to see a three-five-two? The Don sticking with the two up front. I actually do expect that, and they kind of just write off the Rangers game and say, "Well, it worked against Hearts, so why wouldn't it work against Hibs?" I'm with you, hundred percent. No, no. The only way I could see that possibly changing is if Johnny Hayes is fit again to come back, because I think he almost his absence almost forced Jim Goodwin's hand into switching to a three, because Johnny Johnny Hayes has been Aberdeen's best player for me this season at thirty five, and but he's been top drawer, back to the Johnny Hayes that we all saw rampaging down the wing before he went to Celtic. He's he's that Johnny Hayes again. Um, if he's back, he has to play. So it's whether you're then saying, well, am I dropping McKenzie? 
at not bringing Coulson in. That's a big call because you want Johnny Hayes up the park. And remember, it's Martin Boyle, as we've <laughs> seen before, on the right on the right wing. So someone will need to look after him. So I could I could see it. I could. Oh, I, I, if if he goes to a four, then it he's it's he's on the left with Coulson or or McKenzie behind, just to really try and and nullify Boyle. But he might just say, well, "Do you know what? I'm going to get Boyle turning and having to worry about the defensive side of things by really." getting the full-backs, or the wing-backs, sorry, to push back, and I'm going to stick with the three. But I think Aberdeen have every reason to be feeling confident going into this game. Saturday was really disappointing, we can't get away from that. But they've been in a decent run prior with three straight wins. The home form this season's actually been really good. Motherwell defeat apart. They scored goals, they enjoy playing at Pitaudry. I think this is a perfect pick-me-up game after Ibrox. Good wins in the stands for the next two matches after his ban was reduced, but the Dons know... If they have a really good week in this next three games, they're going into the World Cup break in third place in the league, and that should be all the motivation you need for these upcoming matches. It feels kind of crucial as well. I would suggest that they take this chance to overhaul Hibs in third. Uh, as I, th- I think we've seen last season under Stephen Glass, it's all well and good being within striking distance you know, for months on end, but if you don't strike... At some point, you know, we know, we know what happened last term with that. They were always, you know, there were always a certain amount of points away from securing European football, but they didn't secure it. You know, you need to get yourself in that position and then strengthen your hand from there. Okay, let's move on from the Dons then. And next up, we'll discuss Ross County and Inverness. Uh, it's doom and gloom with uh, Andy Skinner. Andy, no points for Ross County at the weekend against Hearts. Malky Mackay insists though, and has insisted a couple of times over the last week, that um, his summer signings, his team, it's all progressing, they're coming together every week, he's seen them play better. It's not just like, you know, they're, they're building moves, they're not just like, you know, getting lucky with the chances they're getting, you know, it's all, it's just the goals uh, at the end that aren't quite coming yet. Is that a case of wishful thinking, or is it actually the case? Um, I mean, it, it's the sort of thing that needs to be backed up by results really quickly, but I mean, I do think that there have been steps in the right direction in the, the last couple of weeks. Because um, I go back to the the period at the start of October, and you know, it was clear at that stage that they had a problem You know, with the, the two defeats against Hibbs and Motherwell. Um, seven goals shipped in the process even ironically the game that they won down at Livingston the week after that um, was let's be honest a, a smash and grab um, and it was it was difficult at that point to really you know see the true identity developing in their side uh, whereas I think in, even in defeat in the last two games and even to an extent the draw with Dundee United um, there have been flashes there that, that kind of look a bit similar to the point they were at this time last season, just before they turned it around, they, they were really knocking on the door in games and you kind of felt that the, the breakthrough was inevitable. I just, I'm seeing the ball kind of drop a little bit more naturally to the likes of Jordi Hibula in the box and, you know, he scored a fantastic goal that was ruled out on, on Sunday. Um, Awura Edwards seems to be a, a bit more engaged and involved in, you know, producing some of the attacks. And Jan Danda has been a really key addition to the side. 
through necessity, obviously, with Ross Callaghan having missed out the last couple of games, but uh, Jan Danda's taken a chance that you know a lot of people feel is overdue. Uh, Malky McKay has kind of said that you know it's been a, a case of trying to to prepare him really for Scottish football. Obviously, he's he's quite quite small in in, in stature and. You know, he's not used to playing every week, so I think there has been work going on behind the scenes there to, to try and nurture him into a player that, that can sustain playing every week. Uh, and you know, it seems as if now is his opportunity because you know he was involved in an awful lot that Ross County produced on on Sunday in particular. So you know, just with those three examples alone, I'm, I, I am starting to to see a bit more of a an impact being made by guys that we've we've been sort of waiting on that from. Um, who who were drafted in during the the summer? Are we going to be sitting here next week again, though? Saying the I mean, when you looked at the the Hearts game and then the St Mirren game, they were the two home games before the World Cup break, and we're looking at them going, you know, this is last chance to leave them, get some points on the board before the break, because you don't want to be going in the break in a low, you know, because it's, it's they don't come back in a very strong position because other teams around them probably will in all likelihood pick up points. But we're going to be sitting here again after this now second away game, saying, "Oh, another hard luck story for County of the weekend." Do you think? Well, that that just makes this weekend's game against St. Bernard all the more important because you know of the the three that they've got left, you know, it's followed by away games against Hibs and Celtic. So, you know, it's without doubt the you know the, the best opportunity to pick up points, and you know, as as you say, if they if they do fall short in this one, then. You know, you're looking at a really big task to to try and end before the break on some sort of positive note. Um, I mean, I think no matter what happens in this next seven days, County are going to be pressing a reset button of sorts during that five week break. Um, and you know, obviously, there are still I think twenty four games to be played after the break, uh, possibly. But um, it's it's the sort of thing that you you certainly want to be showing at this point that you know there there is more to come from this team and uh, you know you don't want to be putting undue pressure on yourself I suppose when you come back as I say I think they're they are going to be in need um, of of a lot of points in the the early stages of the the restart to claw something back because I, I I don't see them being you know completely uh, you know out of the the bottom two by uh, by next Saturday, um, so it's just really a case of trying to back up the way that you know if they've been feeling and uh, some of the posit- positivity that I've, I've kind of outlined in the previous answer with with a, a result or two in these next uh, n- next seven days, in in order that they can really kind of give themselves a platform to to work on in in the five week break. What about Inverness? Then the other side of the the Highland divide we were I think we were all last week talking about the enduring positivity at Inverness the only thing that was really holding them back a little bit was a quite horrendous injury list but you know still kept themselves right in the mix at the top of the table and then they go to Morton on Friday night and if you watched that game it was just absolute pandemonium like the defending early doors just they were out of the game before they even started and I mean, the opening goal was a howler from Mark Richards. Mark Richards then subbed off at half time, and Billy Dodd says afterwards that it's not an injury. Um, 
I mean, it kind of puts a whole new complexion on things for Inverness, doesn't it? it there's a there's a new poison in the well, so to speak, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, they've been here before. The, the Championship does seem to have a knack of just throwing up a, a night like that that's a perfect storm of of everything and you know they're not the only team that have suffered that I mean Partick Thistle shipped four against Queen's Park a couple of weeks ago as well and um, I mean it was uh, I suppose quite a bold move from, from Billy Dodds um, we don't really know the background as to what has happened there between Billy and, and Mark Ridgers um, and what prompted the change um, and you know I suppose it'll make it interesting to see what happens when uh, you know this weekend's game against Arbroath comes about but um, I mean, they seem to be quite a streaky team in Verness. I mean, that's obviously three without a, a win now, um, and they've kind of had that sort of period before. Um, but they've also shown that you know they can, you know, go off like a train when they when they string a few wins together as well. So it, I suppose it's it's obviously a reaction of sorts that he's hoping to to draw up on when uh, when this game comes around on on Saturday. But. I suppose the manner of the defeat is the one thing that you'll you'll hope can spark that because uh, you, you know to go down four 0 at Capolo is is you know a result that will be uh, you know hurtful for for any side and especially with the, the long journey back uh, on on Friday night there. The keeper one's always a oh, it's always a strange situation because I mean if you if you was a left back or it was a right winger or whatever that was hooked at half time you wouldn't think anything of it but the fact that the goalie has made a kind of a high profile error and like he did save a penalty as well during the game um, but then for him to be hooked at half time and him not be injured it doesn't it doesn't portray the best situation I would say um, it speaks to something come, going on yes yeah I mean and it, it's obviously because it, the goalkeeping position is a solitary one it does draw more attention to it um, so we don't know if there's been some sort of issue or discussion or whatever at half time that's resulted in Mark Ridge just being substituted for Cammy Mackay. Um, it'd be, again, it'll be interesting to see who takes the spot in the between the posts this weekend. Because, I mean, Mark, has, he's been a consistent figure ever since Cali Thistle have been in the championship. He was one of the first players they signed five and a half years ago when they got relegated um, as a local lad kind of coming home. And he's been their kind of dependable number one ever since. So I think, I, I do wonder if this weekend will give us any more indications as to what the uh, what the kind of the lay of the land is is like but it's it's probably not a helpful situation particularly if if I'm sorry I'm, I'm not based in Inverness anymore but particularly if there's kind of speculation locally about what's going on but uh, yeah well, maybe the uh, the fixture this weekend will give us some uh, some more insight yeah I suppose what you would if you're an Inverness fan your team's right up there at the top of the table a host of injuries and maybe holding you back are one thing but like, the last thing you want to see you, like if nothing else you've got the solidarity and everyone pulling together to get through this slightly tricky period but you know there starts to be signs that there's maybe like little divides there that's not yeah that's a, a different matter entirely I suppose Um, let's have another short break then and move on to Cove Rangers and then we'll talk about Peterhead and Elgin as well Jamie, 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 Jamie. What happened at Hamilton? 
with Cole. What didn't happen to Hamilton? <laughs> it seemed from... Nobody won. We, you were there. We weren't oh, there. Me. But it seemed from the outside like Cove, having gotten himself in a very strong position, conspired among themselves to uh, totally chuck it. I think I said in um, one of my kind of post-game wrap-ups that it was an utterly baffling game of football. Um, and pretty much everything, pretty much everything happened in the game. I mean, Cove... We're already without Jim McIntyre on the day because he was ill. So Jimmy Boyle took the team instead. Um, they kind of they went two 0 in front in the first half. Got a penalty of their own. Mo- uh, Hamilton pulled one back immediately and kind of went in at halftime just to go behind. Cove scored twice at the start of the kind of second half, including a kind of really well taken goal for for Jerry McDonough. And then once the kind of the sixty minute mark hit, the wheels just kind of came off um cheap goals given away uh a penalty given away and then the closing stages of the game is it's probably a, a kind of a, something that I've not seen happen before in kind of my time covering football and that the Cove goalkeeper Kyle Gurley was penalized for time wasting for holding on to the ball too long um and an indirect free kick was given just inside the penalty area and as is the case with I think any indirect free kick that's given before, and I mean, normally it's for like for a back pass. I think that's the only time when I've normally kind of seen it done. I've never seen it given for time wasting before, but normally because it's there's so little space between the the ball and the goal, normally thing normally shots end up either flying wide or just hitting a player and going miles away. Um, but I was actually sat next to one of the one of the lads that kind of works for work for Cove, and he turned he just turned to me and said like this is. Oh, I know this is going in. Um, and the ball just gets rolled to Andy Ryan and he strikes it. And Jamie Masson is one of the first out of the wall to close it down and just takes a big hit off him. And Kyle Girl is stood still and it's, he just rolls in the corner. And then it's just like pandemonium at the end because people were kind of protesting around the referee, Chris Graham, as they were coming off the pitch. There was some confusion as to whether Kyle Girl had been sent off because he was booked after the final whistle had gone, but we weren't there wasn't some confusion as to whether he was booked for the initial time wasting incident or not. Um, it then turned out that the Cove goalkeeping coach, Derek Souter was sent off in the tunnel afterwards. Um, I'm assuming for his protestations about it. And um, while Jim, Jim McIntyre was watching from afar, I spoke to him, um, spoke to him this week and he was kind of saying he'd, he'd only kind of seen it obviously on the, on the kind of a TV camera from home and, but he'd, he'd spoken to a few of his colleagues in football and they were all said they were astounded that that was kind of what was given because the goalkeeper wasn't kind of warned about his time wasting um, at the time. But the this, the point still stands that Cove have shipped cheap goals and they went 2-0 up and 4-1 up and pretty much within a couple of minutes had conceded and allowed Hamilton a way back into the game. And then you look at the decision that Mark Reynolds makes for the penalty there's some debate whether it was inside or outside the box, but he's flown in at Andy Winter and taken him out. They've got, they've got two kind of what you'd look on the face of it, what you'd think would be good points on the road, but there's contrast emotions come out of it because they played really well against air and came from behind twice to get a point. They played some brilliant football at times down at Hamilton, but they blew a three goal lead. And that's ultimately what, uh, what people are going to remember. And missed a chance to put some distance between himself and 
the bottom side in the division. Um, are Hamilton still the bottom side? Are both our bottom now, aren't they? But uh, yeah, yeah. But Cove could have you know had some daylight there. Interesting to see if Jim McIntyre isn't well enough to take the bench. Who fills Cove's bench on Friday night? Um, televised game, isn't it, Jamie? It is. It's the uh, it's take two for their first ever televised league game. It was due to be the Dundee game in September, but obviously uh, circumstances uh, circumstances elsewhere took over, and obviously everything was wiped out. So we're back under the BBC Scotland cameras um, on Friday night against against Queens Park, who have made a kind of they came up with Cove last season, but were kind of more than twenty points behind them coming up through the playoffs. But they've flown they've flown out the blocks this season and. Look like genuine promotion contenders in the championship. So it's it's one where Cove they do start kind of need to start picking up wins more regularly, but they do have one of the better home records in the league. And that's 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 not something that's unique to this season. It's been the case since they've since they moved to the Balmoral Stadium. So I think it'll be a good contest. They seem to the switch to the four four two formation in the last couple of games has created a lot more chances for the team. Jerry McDonough's getting a run in the team and looking more like the player I think Jim McIntyre wanted when he signed him. It's creating more chances for Mitch Meganton as well, who I know was frustrated with obviously the kind of the not the lack of service, but maybe the lack of opportunities he was getting in the four three three that they were playing. So um I don't think it, I don't think kind of a lack of uh, goal threat's gonna be a problem for Cove. It's just eradicating these costly errors that are that that, that they get effectively just costing them points at the minute. Uh, this weekend, though, positive. Well, last weekend, I suppose, positive for Peterhead. Perhaps we'd been talking about where the points were going to come from. That they'd already been beaten away from home by FC Edinburgh this season, but they managed to get themselves a point, didn't they, Jamie? In a one-one draw, I think they wanted more. That was the only negative for Peterhead that they felt they deserved to take three points from the game. But I mean, you've got to start somewhere, don't you? Yeah, and I mean, it's it's a game against one of the, the strongest sides in the division as well. So to take a point from that, particularly obviously when they finished the game with 10 men as well, it's probably not something to be sniffed at. But they, ne- they obviously need to build on that. And they've got Montrose this weekend as well, who uh, I think they've got kind of the Indian sign over Peterhead over their kind of time in the in the kind of the lower leagues. It's it's It needs to be a building block for them to, to kind of really get the get the season going. Um, Andy McCarthy coming back into the fold last week will be a boost for them. Um, I know they had a trialist, uh, Florent Horty, um, who used to be at Dundee United, um, kind of playing for them last weekend. But as it stands, I don't think there's anything imminent with that. So he would be he would be another midfield option for, for Jim McAnally. But I think I think it's goals that are probably going to be the issue for, for Peterhead at the minute. Um Defensively, they seem to have a good number of options as well, and they've had um, Enoch Wallace be available for the last few weeks. But it's maybe going forward where they're going to need to pose pose more of a threat against Montrose, who've obviously got uh, a couple of familiar faces to North Football kind of fans anyway. With obviously Rory McAllister, um, former Peterhead favourite, and obviously kind of scored the goals that have helped Cove Rangers get back to back promotions, and then uh, young Matthew Wright on loan from on loan from Ross County. I was going to say, Andy, surely he's going to mention your, your Ross County youngsters here. Adam McKinnon as well. Aye, yeah, been I was going to say, you missed one, yeah. <laughs> taking it in turns to win man of the match in the last few weeks. Uh, not certainly doing well at Montrose. Um, very much catching the attention of uh, Melky Mackay back up north. 
down in the League 2, Elgin, who last week it was, uh, you know, I, I put the curse on them, the hex, by saying that it was like endless positivity for Elgin. Great chance against East Fife to get another three points, but they lost 2-1 in the end down the road. Gavin Price was not happy afterwards, was he? 30, he suggested that um, Elgin have lost quite a bit of points this season so far away from home eight. because of yeah eight <laughs> points because of refereeing decisions that have gone against them i think that's fair or do you think do you think that's I an easy way to uh put a bad result behind you i don't i, I don't know if it's fair i can't comment on the <laughs> on the other away games because he didn't actually reference which games in particular but you know to say that gavin price was uh raging on sunday when i, I had a chat with him about the game would be the understatement of the season so far. He, he felt uh, really strongly about what had happened uh, to the extent he actually phoned me back within about a minute of the of the interview finishing to say, actually, with hindsight, maybe don't use this bit or that bit because I don't want to get into trouble. But he was, yeah, he was very, he was very unhappy with um, one decision in particular, um, and it was the one. They're, they're already down to ten men. They're a goal down, and then. Kane Hester is through on goal, takes a ball round the goalkeeper, goes to shoot, and just as he's shooting, the goalkeeper swipes his ankles from behind with his hands and floors him, and the referee goes, corner. And <laughs> I think everyone is just kind of stunned, including the East Fife players. I've, I've seen the footage myself now. It's it's quite incredible. But uh, what, you, what you have to do if you're Elgin is channel that frustration and disappointment into getting back up on the horse this weekend? I was going to say yeah, I mean from having spoken to Gavin before, I mean it, it wasn't quite as strong as uh, 30's phone call sounded but um, I mean from memory I think there was a game down at Dumbarton where they were leading and Dumbarton got two soft penalties to say the least which turned that game on its head and there was another game down at Stenhouse Muir which Elgin were leading 3-2 um, and Stenny scored a, an equaliser, which um, replays showed definitely wasn't conclusively over the line. Um, so it, I think those are the two, perhaps, that amount to the, the eight points that are spoken of. But exactly as Thirty says, it was the point I was going to make as well. You kind of you hope to, to channel that and, and you know ensure that it has a galvanising effect the next time you, you take to the pitch. And it's another away game this weekend against Bonnie Rig Rose. So. Um, you know, it's it's games on the road where you know he's he's counted up those points and uh, you know Bonnie Rigger aside that are a little bit out of sorts in the league after a good start and Elgin beat them last time out at Borough Briggs as well. So um, you know they'll they'll certainly go into this one hopeful of of uh, you know getting back to winning ways. Maybe this is the weekend where we finally have all six wins that we create. <laughs> Not sure. Has it, has it ever happened? <laughs> I'm not sure if that's ever happened. <laughs> I don't think it has ever happened, but we will we'll report back next week. Um, hopefully it's above one or two. That's that's all you can ask her. Thanks to Andy, Paul and Jamie for joining me today. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. If you've enjoyed this episode, like and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. You can email any questions or queries to northerngoal at dcmedia.co.uk and finally, enjoy the football, whichever games you're watching and you could feasibly, if you're a North football fan, watch games on both Friday and Saturday this week. You've got options there, but enjoy them, whatever games you're watching this weekend. Cheers. Hope you loved the episode. 
And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.